So the uh, year has started off in a quite unusual fashion. Uh, we've had asset bubbles being pricked in a number of areas as uh, the easy money policies of the last couple of years are now reversing. So we're we're faced with uh, <clears throat> rolling kind of uh, hits on uh, asset classes that had, had really moved up a lot the last couple of years. We saw a pretty sharp move up in interest rates uh, in the rate of inflation and in wages. Um, so all these things have led to a bit of a slowdown. So I just want to review three things today. I want to talk about global growth, talk a little bit about um, uh, an assessment from the San Francisco Fed on the on the economy that was released on Friday, and then also talk about the impact of Fed policy on the markets, and then we'll open up the questions. So the IMF just revised their growth statistics for this year. Uh, next, they took global growth down uh, half a percent, uh, mainly for two reasons. Uh, they cited the Omicron and the lockdowns uh, as a result of the uh, uh, most recent waves, and also the higher inflation generated from higher energy prices and supply chain problems. When you go and look on a regional basis, one of the big drops is in the U.S., where um, the estimates that the IMF had as recently as October uh, included the Build Back Better program. So taking that out, uh, adding in the supply chain and the uh, higher uh, inflation numbers, they took 1% off of U.S. growth for this year. And number two, they took 0.8% of growth off of China. So taking the two largest economies down 1.8%, uh, China was really driven by the COVID issues as well as the real estate uh, sector challenges that they're facing right now. So we have a number of risks still in the system uh, that are leading to slower growth, but um, those are the, whether a new variants come in, like the uh, the latest one that's Omicron Plus, um, supply chain issues, the energy prices, and particularly how it relates to what's going on in the Ukraine, and also uh, how the labor force dynamics play out. I think these are all the forces that are at play today. What is interesting, though, underlying this is we're way above trend in the U.S. growth uh, that we've had for the last 20 years at the 4% growth that they're projecting. So I think we're still seeing a, a pretty strong economy that's masked by a lot of the problems that are getting all the headlines right now. When you look at inflation by region and look at the sources of inflation, um, the, the dark blue is energy. And that, as you can see across all the regions, is really one of the, big, the biggest issue followed by food, and then wages would be in the uh, lighter area, foods in the light blue, energies in the dark blue. So for the U.S. and for other countries, we are seeing some wage increases, but you're also seeing, you know, the real issue is some of the tightness of the energy and, and uh, how that plays out. So that's kind of the IMF's take. The San Francisco Fed did a report uh, that they put out last week, and why I, why I like to use them is these reports are the inputs into the voters on the Fed and how they're viewing what their next policies uh, practices are going to be. So the San Francisco Fed in their report thinks the pandemic's peaking, which is something we've talked about here for a couple of weeks. While it's tragic where we are in the hospitalizations and on the death rates, um, it is very encouraging to see the turn here in the COVID uh, cases. And it's a pretty sharp turn. And we think that you could see an equal drop uh, as we've seen in South Africa and also in, in the UK and other areas in how the pandemic is playing out. The other thing supporting that the economy is strong underlying uh, is that we are close to recovering to pre-COVID trends 
in our in our GDP uh, potential GDP. So we are moving forward. It is uh, doing better than it feels right now, and I think that's one of the big disconnects is the emotional state of everyone uh, two years into a pandemic. Uh, with the lockdowns and the frustrations that come with that, and also the concerns that you're seeing, real headline inflation rising, uh, but it's it's masking the underlying strength of the economy. And I think that has to do with two things. One is the inequalities that are being felt, particularly as government programs are retired. That actually puts more strain on uh, the lower-income families. And I think that's where a lot of the frustrations are starting to come is the the giveaways in government support of last year are going away and we're back to the reality of, uh, you know, the pre-pandemic uh, problems that exist out there. But we do have a strong economy. Unemployment has recovered quite well, but I think there's more to go in that area uh, too. I think when the, when the government programs have ceased, you're going to start to see more people getting back into the labor force. And the idea of being able to work from wherever you want, I think, is going to change over the next couple months as businesses start to get back to the business of being in business and being in their offices. And I think as we get past the pandemic, you're going to see more people coming back into the workforce. And that's going to create some uh, shifting dynamics as well. The inflation surge, according to the San Francisco Fed, is that it's peaking and will start to drop. That's been a view that has been a little consistent for us. We've been wrong on last year's uh, pressures, but we think that uh, we were just uh, the, the pressures were ran a lot high, higher and hotter than we had originally anticipated. But we think that we're going to start to see a return of some of the deflationary uh, tendencies of the economy, and you're seeing that in some of the numbers coming out of different countries. Japan had a uh, lower population. Their population dropped, I think, close to a million people. China's birth rate was at a record low. Uh, you're also seeing uh, uh, Russia reported, I think, 700,000 uh, uh, decline in population. So you have the demographic issues. You have debt issues that are still weighing on the system, as well as technology advancing. So I think why we one of the big reasons why we expect inflation to uh, ease is because it was in large part over the last 12 months driven by supply chain issues and also the desire to increase spending on goods rather than services because of the lockdown. And you can see from here this the in the dark blue, the dramatic move up in uh, durables inflation. And we think that you're starting to see a shift now that will go back to the consumer, uh, consumer spending on services rather than goods. And you can see a lot of the inflationary pressures on the durable side come down pretty rapidly. You do see inflation is pushed up as well as interest rates have moved up with the inflation pressures. But the yellow line here is where the Fed targets is the neutral rate for inflation that uh, for Fed funds rate. That means how far they can raise rates before it tips the economy over and slows it down. So you still have room to move there. And I think one of the things that the market's been getting wrong is uh, they're projecting how much the Fed's going to do all at once. What they're saying here is that um, the outlook for in interest rates and inflation is not um, as scary as it, it feels right now and that they're expecting it to moderate and therefore rates should moderate as well. Demand for real estate has been a big part of that and the pent-upness that we saw for real estate I think is going to shift in goods, is going to start shifting to pent-upness for uh, services and getting out and returning to normal. Well, you do see how much the prices of real estate have moved up, how sharp they've been. A lot of that is re fully reflective of the areas where uh, remote work is uh, was people were moving for remote work and moving away from uh, remote work areas. And you can see in the in the dark blue, that's where 
Uh, people had high remote work opportunities. Prices moved up considerably. I think as we get back to the offices, uh, which I expect will come not fully, but uh, certainly more than we have right now, you'll see some of these issues abate as well. And you add to that, we have had tight supplies that, that uh, we'll start working through as well. So now we're preparing for liftoff. What does the Fed do and how does that play out in the markets? And it's certainly the initial reaction for the last several uh, Fed announcements as the market's been uh, sold off and then normalized and started to rebound since. I think we're in a period where there's a lot of concern about inflation, but the concern about inflation might be in the rearview mirror. And you can see from the forward views on the five-year uh, break-even inflation rate, they're not looking at sustained high inflation above 3%. We're barely keeping it above 2% uh, going out. We think that's going to come down. So we think you're going to have the Fed announcing they're going to move steadily. They'll raise rates up uh, probably at a pretty good cadence, whether they do 150 basis point to start shock and awe, more likely because of the way um, uh, Chair Powell used the, fir, uh, the phrase steadily. Um, as I was talking to a former Fed official yesterday, he said that that word was probably debated for about an hour and a half to two hours, how they were going to describe the process they were going to use. And when they chose the word steadily, it means they're going to work in incremental movements over a pretty consistent time to get the rates up, but that doesn't mean the rates are necessarily going to stay up because we have a big yield differential between the U.S., Japan, and, say, Germany, and with that yield differential, as we raise rates, we're going to attract more capital in, which could offset uh, future moves up in rates, so that's something to keep an eye on. The last big issue I want to touch on is the shift from easing to tightening and what that means from quantitative easing on the Fed balance sheet to quantitative tightening. This is the chart from 17 forward, and you can see uh, back at uh, when the pandemic hit, we were looking at just over $4 trillion on the balance sheet, and now we're moving up to $9 trillion. The Fed would like to get back to $4 trillion. Um, we don't have a lot of experience in quantitative tightening, so that they're going to be very measured in how they do this. They'll start a cadence of it. Uh, but they're going to be very nimble in this area, and Powell did not get boxed into how fast they were going to reduce the balance sheet. Because if rates are coming down, if inflation's coming down, and the pressure is on the system, they can take a more measured approach to that um, and be uh, clear about how they're supporting the economy while they're doing this. So this is a very tricky time for investors. We have not had as difficult a period for the last several years. And even if going back, aside from the uh, blip in March, we've had a very supported system by uh, monetary and fiscal policy since 2009. And we think that's going to continue. It'll just be different. But there will be a lot of more volatility around this. And as a result, you want to shift to quality. But as we're looking at the market right now, we see some very good earnings numbers coming out from a lot of companies. But those that are have bad multiples, really high multiples are going to, are getting punished pretty severely even when they have good earnings. And I think what you're seeing is a reflection of the movement towards uh, multi, shifting away from multiples to focusing on the quality of earnings and the ability of companies to deliver going out over the next couple of years, who will be able to sustain pricing and who won't. So with that, Mark, I'll stop and take it, open it up to questions or comments. Questions, comments? Uh, very, very thought-provoking as always, Stephen. But especially so uh, this morning. What 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 do you think? You know, Bostic came out the other day and 
kind of let the cat out of the bag as a possibility of 50 basis points. Um, maybe not necessarily in March, but maybe for the second one. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how much of that is, is positioning and continued jawboning versus, you know, realistically and perhaps, you know, maybe the insights that you got from, from your, your, uh, acquaintance, you know, former Fed guy. Yeah, I think um I I think Bill they were being accused of being behind the curve and I don't think after last week they're are considered being behind being viewed as being behind the curve in their mindset now. So I do think some of this is talking the market into what they want it to be. Um they want the market to know that they're taking it seriously, but they also need to keep the flexibility so if they can talk up the market to uh, being confident that, that inflation is uh, something the Fed can manage. I think they're going to uh, continue to give the messages that they may be more aggressive, but not necessarily need to be. Um, and I think that's part of the uh, the phrasing. So you have to really listen to the words carefully, listen to who's a voting member or not, um, and really focus on that. But I do think they're talking the book up to make people more comfortable that the bond vigilantes don't take the upper hand. Um, I, I also think there's uncharted waters once again when it comes to reducing a balance sheet. And if you remember back in uh, 07, 08, the balance sheet of the Fed was uh, around $875 billion, far cry from the $9 trillion we're at today. So getting back down there for the Fed for the ECB, for the Bank of Japan, is going to be very difficult and take some time. So you're going to really need to see growth staying above uh, historical trend and certainly above the rate of uh, your debt servicing costs. Hmm. Uh, Stephen? Yep. Um, hey, Barry. Um, um, what's, your, what's your thoughts on the whiplash in the market these last uh, 10 days? Uh, I think when, when the market – thought that Powell might really get aggressive on raising rates, uh, any high multiple stocks or uh, stocks without good earnings, lower quality stuff got slammed. I think that's a reflection of the fact that the market's up, what, a hundred and something percent over the last three years. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty much a straight line. If you looked at a lot of the asset classes, whether it's art or crypto or, you know, real estate, uh, the stock markets, they've all had you know, pretty healthy, steady runs up, few blips along the way, but they keep their uptrends. I think there's just a, there was a view that when you move to tighter conditions, asset values need to come in. And I think you get a pretty healthy blow up. So um, whether it's something more or not, too soon to tell, it really depends on the course of inflation and the pandemic and supply chains. Um, I suspect that the slowing growth is normal and um, manageable, but I do think that certain parts of the world are going to feel a lot of pain. And I think that's really going to be much of the emerging economies. And uh, and I think parts related to China that they have a real, they have an issue that they're going to have to deal with on their real estate that uh, whether they have enough money to go around. For the first time, you're starting to hear that um, 
you know, articles about she hasn't left the country in 700 days and maybe is concerned about leaving because what might go on if he gets back. Um, there's a lot of dynamics that are play over in China right now that I think are weighing on sentiment as well. So I think you're, this is a normal kind of a blow off that you have, whether it becomes more than that or not, hard to say, but right now we're not expecting that. I have a question. What do you see? What do you see from a consumer standpoint? If they're projecting inflation not to be long-term, interest rates to start ticking up over the next year, how do you see the long-term look, for instance, things like mortgage rates, uh, um, uh, businesses borrowing from banks? Where, where do you see those rates kind of landing on average, let's say, over the next 12 to 36 months? Mortgage rates are really hard because the, to project because the Fed – it's going to reduce, stop their purchases of mortgages, and it will take some time to see how that plays out into the mortgage market. Um, but I think you'll see a, a somewhat of a trend upwards, but our, our outlook is not for a significant move up in rates from these levels, although it's too hard to make a clear projection right now. It looks like the 10-year could be between where we are now and, and moving up to 2.5% by year end, but the, the projections for that are all over the place, and a lot depends on just getting past Omicron and the reopening and the lockdown. So hard to say, but our our view is that you'll see a move up in rates, but they'll still we're still going to be in a historically accommodative uh, environment. I think that I know the rates are still significantly below where they were in the 1950s on mortgages right now. Uh, so we could afford a move up in rates that still wouldn't slow the economy down too much. I do think one problem that's masked in the uh, strong consumer uh, numbers is that with the government program stopping, the lower income consumers have paid down a lot of debt, are not as flush with cash to continue consuming. So they're going to get hit by the higher inflation more than the high end where they have a lot more discretionary uh, spending and they don't need to spend. So I think that is part of the slowing and the tightening that's going going to go on and why you see more of a shift from goods to services for a lot of those people. What, what about on the business side? You know, the last time there was a, uh, a tightening of the credit markets, small businesses had a hard time attracting dollars at the right interest rate. Do you see that returning or you think that'll kind of stay normalized as we've seen over the last few years? I think the, I think the liquidity is the, the design is to take some liquidity out of the system. So I think they are pushing to do that. Um, which will put some pressure on the weaker balance sheet companies or those who need capital. Um, but I also think we're going to see massive M&A uh, activity this year uh, because of the low interest rates starting to rise and people thinking that they got to get their deals done now, particularly with some of the pullbacks in valuations because of the market moves in the, le- in the first part of this year. You're seeing a lot more attractive valuations to do M&A. And I think people are uncertain whether they can get out of the problems that their own companies are in um, just doing business the way they've done it. So I expect M&A will pick up and uh, corporations will be in one of two camps. They'll either be flush and doing the acquiring or they'll be spinning assets off because they need the cash. Hey, Stephen, have you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Thanks, Bill. Um, Stephen, have you or have you seen anybody else model out? Um, the impact of the rising interest rates on government debt, um, in particular interest payments. Uh, I don't know what, uh, whether it be as a percentage of government expenditure and, and where those metrics are in historical context. If you look at uh, 
if you look at where we are right now, uh, I think the debt is, say, uh, $29 trillion for last year, and I think our interest costs would have been around $300, and $300 billion, something like that. I think that's the lower interest costs than we were paying back in 2005 uh, in dollars, even though our debts are probably five times what they were. That's how big the interest rate differential is. But you can do the math. Every 50 basis point move up is going to, you know, $28 trillion is real, real incremental cost. I think that's what part of Joe Manchin was really focused on and trying to stop the bill back better is he didn't think we could handle our current debts. Why take on another $2 trillion? Well, yeah, that's exactly where I was heading because I wanted to know, I was trying to figure out, I mean, somebody, I'm sure CBU or somebody has done this, right, where if you kind of um, project all the interest rates and the impact of the interest um, as government expenditure for the, lo- the, the much bigger um, uh, balance of outstanding debt, even though at lower interest rates, historically, um, you may end up with having a high interest expense whether it be as a percentage of government expenditure or any other metric than we have had historically. And then, of course, you run into um, government crowding out, um, you know, private sector investments and all the other stuff that that that, that impact that would have on the, the broader economy. Yeah, I think we have a ways to go, but um, it it it's the debt's so high right now that it doesn't take much to put us in a bad spot. I thought it might, might be interesting if you... For those who were in Miami or weren't in Miami, this is what John Najarian had to say. So I think the market's telling us they're not anticipating those five rate hikes that Goldman and all these other analysts are saying that we might see. I think that'll be a good thing if we don't see that. I think the Fed should have moved last year, but now that they've waited so long, I think they can be a little more patient because the damage is done as far as inflation and things like that. And if they really hit it right now with both barrels, then I think the damage gets worse. So overall, my opinion is that we're going to see um, the market meandering around as we play with this 2% interest rate on the 10-year, but not an explosive move to 275 or anything like that, like five rate hikes might apply. Yeah, Mark, I think I said something similar last week that I take the under on the rate hikes because uh, I think the I think it is it is late in the cycle and it's later than the inflation numbers are are reading backwards, not forwards. And I think we're going to start to see them start to roll over. And and you're you know you're starting to see people starting to go back to work next month. Is February is the month that a lot more companies in New York City are talking about people getting back in. I think you're going to start to see economic activity reopen, which is similar to what we had last year before the pandemic and uh, before the Delta variant hit. And I think that that we'll get to allow them to keep rates lower. So it'll be interesting to see, though. This is not there's no no clarity on this one right now because of quantitative tightening is no history on it to speak of. Hey, Stephen, I wonder if um, you have seen any data on something. I'm sort of postulating something, and I'd love to know if there's any data around, but I take a poll of sort of my kids and nephews, and a lot of those kids are getting paid real salaries from cash flow negative companies, startups, things like that, and we've had an absolute market crash on 
the valuations of a lot of those kinds of companies. And, you know, maybe the venture capital guys can pull more rabbits out of their hat and keep raising money at high valuations. But I just wonder if um, there's going to be sort of a slowdown in hiring in some of those sectors or, you know, maybe some, you know, when, when you when you don't have cash flow and you're like paying cash flow, my experience in life is that that ends up coming back to bite you a little bit. Is there any way to measure that? Or do you think the Fed I, I was my, my thinking on this is that that's one reason the Fed will go slowly here. I mean, the 10 year note will tell us whether rates are going up and the Fed sort of going incremental is a way for them to sort of assess this as we go along. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's tied into how does the return to work in in cities go? And if if you get back into the cities the way I suspect that it'll be more than people think, um, then I then I believe that you will uh, see uh, a reversal of the types of size of companies that people are working for as well, Duncan. So I think that's one shift. But I think it did touch on another area, which is you know deals are going to be have to be valued differently going forward and with the move up in rates that we've had. And I think that's going to going to put some strains on on who can do deals and what the quality of deals looks like. Um, so I think we're going to be in one of those periods where uh, you're going to be looking harder at the deals you do. You're going to be looking for more margin of safety in the deals. And, um, you know, the I think the bigger are going to get bigger during this process. You saw it with Microsoft and, you know, trying to get into gaming the way they can, $67 billion in cash. Um, you know, you think about where we're talking about a conflict between Russia and, you know, the or the West around the Ukraine, that the market cap of Apple is bigger than the GDP of Russia by a pretty good amount now, just to put it in perspective. So the size of these big tech companies and their ability to make acquisitions, their, their cash flows are so massive that I think they're going to continue to to buy up and and uh, help some of those smaller businesses. But, Duncan, I think you bring up an interesting point. You know, a lot of bit people who are looking at their stock are going to be having a having a tough time now. So uh, I think it's going to change the dynamics. And I think we have a, a lot of a lot of shifts going on all at once over the next 12 months. They're going to slow growth and make things a little more challenging for all.